0: everybody, and welcome to the Niche Podcast about the one thing I know something about, game shows, I suppose. I'm your host, Jordan Haas. This is, uh, let me, what calendar does it say? September 16th, 2020. How are you doing? This is Patreon exclusive, so obviously I'm talking to you from the future. Uh, I decided to record this episode late at night uh because it's one of those you know reactions i just wanted to talk and it's one of those ones that i've written down that i just really 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 want to talk about because it's one of my favorite game shows but i couldn't do it during the old school game shows i suppose uh that's going on right now it's going to close at the end of november uh and everyone's gonna be like what's new episodes and they're on patreon I don't think anyone's going to really know about this, nor are they going to care? I'm I'm just throwing this out there. I don't even know when this episode is going to air, probably sometime next year. I don't. Probably. But I just had the urge to record an episode as we speak, because uh, a big question that always uh, shows up is my sign-off on game shows, I suppose. I do goodnight, big smooch, mwah! And do the the big kiss noise. Um, So I figure, well, I might as well explain that. And that's because the dating game. The dating game is one of the greatest game shows of all time. Because in many ways, it's not really a game show. It's like the most abstract version of a game show ever devised. But it's one that's very fascinating. So we're talking the dating game today. Dating Game was the first game show created by Chuck Barris Productions in 1965. This is the counterculture 60s we're talking about and Chuck Barris, being the crazy guy he is, came up with a fun game show where the prize was a date. That's it. That's the grand prize is a date with the contestant as a way to find love. And it was kind of like a very fun idea. The premise was a literal blind date with three people behind a wall and you would ask them questions like, but you couldn't ask them the very normal questions of like, who are you? What do you do for a living? What's how old are you? It's basic relationship questions and they would have to answer honestly or flirt a little to try and win the date. And that was the easy premise. So, There's a cute little contestant, a nice little woman, and three bachelorettes, uh, sometimes three guys. They were all really good looking, sometimes two, and then one's like a dud, sometimes two, and the third one is uh, a celebrity, and all you would hear is bachelor number one, bachelor number two, bachelor number three, and all they get is different questions, and Originally, they were very friendly questions, like where, uh, like what's the most romantic place you would take me on a date? Or uh, what's the first place you go to at the supermarket and why? Things that were like really abstract. Um, but then, as the show progressed and the audience knew what they were getting into, it got a little bit more Chuck Barris, And by that, I mean a bit more provocative. So it became more... Uh, We're at the produce section. What's your favorite fruit? And then someone would be like, I really love melons. Or my favorite is bananas because it's big and plump and I want to put one in your mouth. Like, it's all like the innuendo stuff. Like, if I was an ice cream cone, how would you lick me? Okay, sure. (laughs) Um, And then, after a few minutes of deliberation, all the contestant has to do is pick one, two, or three. Kind of like, let's make a deal. Uh, and then we start looking at what you could have won if you pick number one. They He was a college student studying medicine over at UCLA. Give it up for so-and-so. Uh, number two. Oh, uh, they're a stockbroker from New York City. Give it up for blue, blue, blue. Well, you pick number three. Uh... They are a uh, car salesman from Valencia. Give it up for... And that was the premise of the show. And, of course, then they meet for the first time. Sometimes it's a weird coincidence. And uh, they get told what beautiful trip they get to go on. And usually it's a nice resort. Like Palm Spring. Or Hawaii. And something that I never really knew until later on is... They were forced to go on a date with each other uh, by the producers. Like, you do not get your trip to Hawaii unless you agree to have at least one hour of dinner conversation. Uh, so, so, they were enforced by Chuck Berris production staff to do the date even though you never heard about that ever again this isn't like love connection where they follow up and go well how happened with you Up above. no it's hey uh, you did the thing and i i think that was kind of fun now usually they play two games sometimes it was most of the time bachelor to bachelor but sometimes when it's a really good looking guy They did the reverse, and it was a bachelorette, bachelorette number one, two, and three, and the main contestant was the bachelor, Uh, which always made a fun little premise, but it's usually just two games per episode, Uh, and then they would end, they would see the couples, everyone would meet up on stage one last time with Jim Lang, and then everyone say with me, big smooch, and they would put their hand out and then like deliver a big old showmanship kiss like a blow kiss to the crowd and that would be it that's the dating game it is a simple format because it's the comedic answer between question and answer it's the you know something the contestant doesn't so there's a bit of comedy aspect in that. The entertaining answers, as in the an- as in the innuendo of some of the responses given to the questions, also makes it work. And then it's essentially how it was a very flirty, fun show. And it lasted a long time. It started in 65. It ended in 74. They brought it back from 78 over to 80. And it was a fun show. And It was just an enjoyable little game show, uh, and it put Chuck Barris on the map because people were clamoring for the show. If it wasn't for Dating Game, there would be no Newlywed Game, there would be no Gong Show. This is the show that put him on the map. This is the Mark Burnett Productions with the Eco Challenge, uh, and it was a huge, huge success. If it wasn't for the dating game, I don't think you could even argue for many dating game shows in general. Things like Singled Out, things like The Bachelor, what, they all have their genes originally from the dating game here in 1965. And that's, to me, that's what's so enjoyable about this. Uh, so, when they ended the show uh, in the 80s, I mean like, okay. Makes sense. Pull the plug. Uh, There was a revival aspect. People wanted to see a revival of the dating game in some fashion. And they tried. So they brought it back in the 90s. Uh, They had it with Brad Sherwood from Whose Line, is it anyway? And then later, (sighs) fucking shit chuck woolery because love connection i guess i don't brad sherwood was not that good of a host it was very rusty and well chuck woolery he's chuck chuck woolery so yeah they brought it back in the 90s i think they filmed it over in sunset if i'm not mistaken let me double check on that one real quick do 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 uh, they filmed it. Wow, I do not say exactly what was the studio. I would assume Sunset Gower. Uh, and it was always fun because I have some anecdotes about people who apparently met on the dating game in the Chuck Woolery edition. Uh, there was literally like uh, a fun anecdote story. I remember I was eating at the Johnny Rockets universal studios city walk i think five years ago when it was a sports bar and as i was eating because it's an universal for me the table next door was celebrating an anniversary and the greatest story was apparently this couple met on the dating game in the 90s and they were celebrating their 20th anniversary wait no 25th anniversary oh, wow, <laughs> and it was like, that's how they're going to celebrate with their friends at the, at the Johnny Rockets. Because the reason being, and this is what was the, the funny premise, they had their date on the Dane game. It was a bust, but they did keep in touch, and then they rekindled their friendship and met at the Johnny Rockets, which at the time was something else, I think, because it was the 90s. I think that was the weird Burger Radio theme bar. But they met at the went to Universal Studios and had a great time, and I thought that was a fun story. And I thought, oh man, that was great. To me, that's 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 a great version of the dating game story because most of the time. I, w- I don't know their names. I'm so sorry. You were- I was overhearing your conversation. And I'm a game show nerd. You were talking about being on the dating game in the 90s. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I remember hearing that conversation. And it was one of those things where you lit up. Because it was like, I always get, there's always that one curious question. Like, do they ever, like, what happens to the couples after the dating game? And it's like do they still stay together? Do they <laughs> do they break up after getting their trip and go well thanks for nothing? Uh and it's like well for some of them they got married and I thought that's such a cool like premise someone actually got married through a game show. And I'm sure and that was the 90s one. I assume something similar happened in the 60s and 70s <laughs> editions of the show. But to me that was To me, that's what made it work. Uh, Anyway, a big part of the dating game did get uh, a bunch of celebrity appeal. Farrah Fawcett was a contestant. Suzanne Somers. Tom Selleck. Lee Majors. Michael Richards. uh, Kramer from Seinfeld. uh, Steve Martin at one time. John Ritter. Phil Hartman. A young Arnold Schwarzenegger. uh, (laughs) Uh... even though they were well known, they uh, Michael Jackson at one point was on there, Ron Howard from Happy Days, Paul Lynn, Richard Dawson, and I thought when they had the celebrities on, that was kind of fun to me. Uh, it had a huge soundtrack from Herb Albert. Uh, I know Spanish Flea is where everyone's go-to. Uh, then they had a whole lot of different when there was a guest showing up. But uh t- to me like the show was uh it was very fun to look at. Now in our countries they call it blind date which makes more sense cuz they don't know what's going on sight unseen. Uh and there's a legacy of the show. Um I should point this out. According to the wiki page for Dating Game and from his autobiography, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, Chuck Barris claimed the Dating Game was a cover for his CIA activities and was promoted by the CIA. However, his second memoir, Game Show King of Confession, uh, mentions neither the CIA nor his previous book. The CIA spokesperson has categorically denied the Bears ever worked for the agency. But there was, and this is where I was trying to read into it, uh, the show's popularity. Had a Baskin-Robbins ice cream flavor called Dating Game, and it was pink ice cream with dates and toasted pecans. Because you have to be a little nutty to be on that show. <laughs> uh. So what makes the show work was originally was just an ABC show from 65 to 73, but it continued for a while in syndication and... That's what I think really sold the show was because of the provocative nature of, of the series. And then they had sitcom elements, and they had a little bit of jokes because it became like iconic pop culture at the time. A lot of people do not understand that even back in the 60s and 70s, game shows, yes, they were seen as corny, niche moments, but if there was a game show episode of some kind, it was either the quiz game or it was a dating game kind of episode. So now I get to link up here with something very fun. That's right. True crime dramas. So I I have to read out my my inner uh, true crime nature. There's a whole books and documentaries about the dating game killer, uh, Ronnie Alcala. So let me just tell you about this. I'm going to just read the wiki page for the rest of the episode. Rodrigo Juaquez Ocala Bacor was born in San Antonio, Texas. At 17, he joined the United States Army and served as a clerk by 64, after was described as a nervous breakdown, during which he went AWOL, hitchhiked from Fort Bragg back to his mom's house. He was diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder by a military psychiatrist and discharged on medical grounds. Other diagnosis later prepared by various psychiatric reports include narcissistic personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, and malignant narcissism with psychopathy and sexual sadism. Uh, Carmon I, f- I screwed up, but I'm not going to do as I can take. After leaving the military, he joined the UCLA School of Fine Arts and later studied under Roman Polanski. Yes, that Roman Polanski. He committed his first crime in 1968. An eyewitness in Los Angeles called police after watching him lure an eight-year-old girl named Tally Shapiro into his Hollywood apartment. But when police arrived, they kicked the door and the girl was found alive, but was unfortunately sexually assaulted and beaten with a steel bar. Akala fled the scene. To evade the resulting arrest warrant, Akala left the state of California and enrolled in the new NYU film school using the name John Berger. In 71 he obtained a counseling job at a New Hampshire arts camp for children, using a slightly different ag- alias, John Berger, but instead of an E, it's a U. In June 1971, Cornelia Michael Crowley, a 23-year-old TWA flight attendant, was also found sexually assaulted and strangled in her Manhattan apartment. Her murder remained unsolved until the year 2011. FBI listed Alcala on his list of top 10 Most Wanted Fugitives in early 1971. A few months later, two children attending the arts camp noticed his photo on an FBI poster at the post office. Alcala was arrested and extradited to California. By then, Shapiro's parents had relocated their entire family to Mexico and refused to allow her to testify in Alcala's trial. Unable to convict him of these charges without primary witness, prosecutors were forced to permit Alcala who plead guilty with a lesser charge of just assault instead of attempted murder and rape? Acala was paroled after 17 months in 1974 under the Inter Sentencing Program, popular at the time, which allowed parole boards to release offenders as soon as they were demonstrated evidence of rehabilitation. Less than two months after his release, he was rearrested for assaulting a 13 year old girl identified in courts as Julie J., who had accepted that she thought it was a right to school but was paroled after two years due to an intermittent sentence. After his second release in 1977, his LA parole officer took the unusual step of permitting a repeat offender and known flight risk to travel to New York City. A New York Police Department cold case investigator now believed that a week after arriving in Manhattan, Alcala killed Ellen Jane DeHover, 23, daughter of the owner of the popular Hollywood nightclub, Heroes, and granddaughter of Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. Her remains were found buried on the grounds of the Rockefeller Estate in Westchester County. In 78, Akala worked for a short time at the LA Times as a typesetter and was interviewed by members of the Hillside Strangler Task Force as part of their investigation of known sex offenders. Although Akala was ruled out as the Hillside Strangler, he was arrested and served a brief sentence for marijuana possession. During his period, Alcala convinced hundreds of young men and women that he was a professional fashion photographer and photographed him for his portfolio. A Times co-worker later recalled Alcala shared his photos with workmates. I thought it was weird, but I was young. I didn't know anything, she said. When I asked why he took the photos, he asked their moms I asked him to. I remember the girls were naked. He said he was a professional, so in my mind, I was being a model for him, said a woman who allowed Akala to photograph her in 1979. The photo also included spread after spread of naked teenage boys, she said. Most of these photos are sexually explicit, and most remain unidentified. Police fear that some of the subjects may be additional cold case victims. In 1979, according to a later trial testimony, Akala knocked unconscious in. Raped a 15 year old Monique Haidt while she was posing for photographs. 78, one year prior. Alcala was a contestant on the popular game show The Dating Game. Jim Lang introduced Alcala as a successful photographer who got his start when his father found him in the darkroom at the age of 13. Fully developed, between takes, you might find him skydiving motorcycling. A fellow Bachelor contestant later described Alcala as a very strange guy with bizarre opinions. Alcala won the episode, and a date with Bachelorette Cheryl Bradshaw, who subsequently refused to go out with him because she found him creepy. A criminal profiler, Pat Brown, noticed that Alcala killed at least three women after his dating game appearance speculated that his rejection might have been an exerbiating factor. One wonders what that did to his mind, Brown said. That is something that he would not take too well. Serial killers don't understand rejection. They think that something is wrong with that girl. She played me. She played hard to get. Robin Sanso, 12-year-old girl from 1910 Beach, was disappeared somewhere between the beach and her ballet class on June 20, 1979. Her decomposing body was found 12 days later in the L.A. foothills. Samso's friends told police the stranger had approached them on the beach, asking to take their pictures. Detectives circulated a sketch of the photographer, and Alcala's parole officer recognized him. During a search of Alcala's mother's house in Monterey Park, police found a rental receipt for a strange locker in Seattle. In the locker, they found Samso's earrings. Alcala was arrested July 1979 and held without bail in 1980. He was tried, convicted, and sentenced to death for Samso's murder. But the verdict was overturned by California Supreme Court because jurors had been improperly informed of his prior sex crimes. In 86, after a second trial virtually identical to the first except for the omission of the prior criminal record testimony, he was again convicted and sentenced to death. A Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals panel nullified the second conviction, in part because a witness was not allowed to support Akala's contention that the park ranger who found Samson's body had been hypnotized by police investigators. (sighs) While preparing for their third prosecution in 2003, Orange County, California investigators learned that Alcala's DNA, sampled under new state law over his objections, matched semen stains left left a rape murder scene of two women in L.A. Additional evidence, including another cold case DNA match in 2004, led to Alcala's indictment for the murders of four additional women. Jill Barco, 18, New York City, runaway, found rolled up like a ball in an L.A. ravine in 1977. Originally thought to have been a victim of the hillside Stranger, Georgia Wixted, 27, bludgeoned in her Malibu apartment in 77. Charlotte Lamb, 31, was raped, strangled, and left in the laundry room of an El Segundo apartment complex in 1978. Jill Parntow, 21, was killed in her Burbank apartment in 1979. All the bodies were found posed in carefully chosen positions. Another pair of earrings found in Alcala's Seattle storage locker had residue that matched that of Lamb's DNA. Charlotte Lamb. During his incarceration between the second and third trials, Alcala wrote and published a book, You, the Jury, in which he claimed innocence in the Samso case and suggested a different suspect. He also filed two lawsuits against the California penal system for a slip-and-fall incident and for refusing to provide him a low-fat diet. Third trial. In 2003, prosecutors entered a notion to join the so charges of those four newly discovered victims. Alcala's attorneys contested it as one of them explained, if you're a juror, and you hear one murder case, you may have to have a reasonable doubt, but it's hard to say if you have reasonable doubt on all five, especially when four of the five aren't allowed by eyewitnesses but are proven by DNA matches. In 2006, the California Supreme Court ruled in the prosecution's favor. February 2010, Alcala stood trial on the five joined charges. For the third trial, Alcala elected to act as his own attorney he took to a stand in his own defense. For five hours straight, played the roles of both interrogator and witness. Asking himself questions, addressing himself as Mr. Alcala in a deeper than normal voice. Okay, so I'm doing that right now, but... And then answering them. During his bizarre self-questioning and answering session, he told jurors, often in a rambling monotone, that he was at Knott's Berry Farm applying for a job as a photographer at the time Samso was kidnapped. He showed the jury a portion of his seventy-eight appearance on the Dating Game in an attempt to prove that the earrings found in Seattle were not were his, not Samso's. Jed Mills, the actor who competed against the call on the show told a reporter that earrings were not socially acceptable accrued men for men in 1978. I had never seen a man with an earring in his ear, he said. I would have noticed them on him. Alcala made no significant attempt to dispute the four-eyed charges other than to assert that he cannot remember killing any of the women. As part of his closing argument, he played the Arlo Guthrie song, Alice's Restaurant, in which the protagonist tells the psychiatrist that he wants to kill after less than two days' deliberation, the jury convicted him on all five counts of first-degree murder. A survive a surprise witness during the penalty phrase of the trial was Tally Shapiro, Alcala's first known victim. David Rappaport, a psychiatrist paid by Alcala and the only defense witness, testified that borderline personality disorder could explain Alcala's claims that he had no memory of committing the murders. The prosecutor argued that Alcala was a sexual predator who knew what he was doing and was wrong and he didn't care. March 2010, Alcala was sentenced to death for a third time. Unidentified Photographs March 2010, Huntington Beach released 120 of Alcala's photographs and sought the public's help in identifying the, the victims. It helped determine if any of the women and children he photographed were additional victims 900 additional photos could not be made public police said because they were too sexually explicit in the first few weeks police reported that approximately 21 women had come forward to identify themselves and at least six families said they believe they recognized loved ones who disappeared years ago but sadly were never found none of the photos was unequivocally connected to a missing person case or an unsolved murder until 2013 when a family member recognized the photo of christine thornton 28 whose body was found in wyoming in 82 as of september 2019 109 of the additional photos remain posted online and police are continuing to solicit the public's health with further identifications uh it, it just keeps going from here but, but according to this research um because if you just keep if you you can just really just keep digging into the Dan game killer uh, you can there the wiki page has a huge list of all of the events in order from all the victims uh, going all the way to 2013 where he pleaded guilty and was sentenced to 25 years to life for the murders of Hover Criley. Hover uh, Criley um, was Ellen Crover of New York. so. There, is, uh, there was a Dane Game Killer movie uh, that came out for Investigation Discovery in December 2017. Uh, Robert Kepner played Detective Jim Harmel, and Guillermo Diaz played Rodney Alcala. Uh, it was the first original film for Investigation Discovery, uh, and it was really, really good. Uh, so, I now have to slowly uh, go back to a normal voice uh, and try and decompress here because obviously this was a heartbreaking story. Um, And it's one where you can't fault uh, the producers. I mean, they could have done better background research on all of the contestants, especially Rodney. But... They only see, like, hey, Rodney is uh, the LA Times. He said so. He has it here. Works for me. That would not probably fly in modern internet Google lookup. So, to me, that's kind of a fascinating backstory on this. And the reason it's a story was because, obviously, it was a horrific news. It was worldwide attention for a while. And... Yes, partially that is what brought an end to the show for a while. They had a bit of a gap because, well, do you really want to see the show where the murderer was a contestant? Um, so it's it's a heartbreaking story, and I don't really want to dwell more into that. I think that. 20 or so minutes explaining that was more than enough i want to go into the the future of the show dating game is such a quick format there's three contestants behind a wall and a contestant asks questions you pick the person and it got me wondering why hasn't this show gotten rebooted This is like the easiest known format. It's been the parody on sketch comedy shows for years. Improvisational comedy has a whole dating game parody. And it's such a format that could work in modern day that it's what's the, what's been really the hiccup of the show. Because to me, I can see this on Quibi. I could see this on YouTube. I can see this anywhere because if it's an hour-long show, you can do four different contestants and just continue, and rinse, repeat the format. If you want, you can make it a quibby and speed this up and make it like an eight-minute episode where one date, one interrogation is all that's that's used at the course of an episode. You can YouTube this and make it a a 12 minute episode extend out the questioning you can have it be an elimination format and just stretch it out where it's you eliminate one person per round and you keep the questioning until one's left standing there's there's versatile in this format and the dating game still works to this day However, it's the only show I can think of that has such a mainstream appeal, has been parodied so many times, but has yet to be rebooted since the 2000s. I think the last time, there's always been an attempt to revive the show, and it's faltered. This is a show that could definitely be returned, and if I was to do the show, I would have Maury host it. I would have Maury Povich host it because in today's age with the trashiness of TV uh, and the you are the father you're not the father lie detector test Maury seems like the perfect fit for, for that kind of show. Jerry Springer, yeah he did baggage but I think this feels more like a Maury. Uh, and in general I think that the show's appeal is, the, is once again those questions and responses. And it's a you think on your feet kind of game, and I think that's the main appeal to this. And I can obviously see this returning. You can make this an online show. You can make this. Uh, you can variant the fonts even more because it can work. It's a. V- I'm not kidding. It's a versatile format here, and just having three players is all you need to do. So. In conclusion, I know it's a quick episode, but I don't really have much left to say. Chuck Waller version sucked ass. Like It sucks because they tried to do a bonus game aspect if you can figure out what they look like. It doesn't work. What makes it work is the you-know-something-the-contestant-doesn't-know, the The questions-and-answers-responses that make it funny, and the payoff where at the end someone wins and they rinse-repeat-the-format-again. That's all it needs to be. It's a quick-fire dating show. And in this world where we're seeing reboots of Dating Game, or we're seeing... We're not seeing reboots of Dating Game. We're seeing reboots of like Blind Date. Why not just do an in-studio dating game? It works. There's no need to reinvent the wheel here. This is one of the long-time game shows. And it, honestly, I am kind of shocked given how much innuendo is given in today's like entertainment why that show has yet to get rebooted so maybe it's the check is to try to find someone as good as jim lang maybe someone like elan joyce who was one of the first female hosts of a game show uh and then jeff mcgregor hosted two seasons of syndicated run It, it it works it, it, it does work. Sony Pictures currently has the rights to the show. They just have to figure out where to put it, so most likely Sony will either dust it off and put on GSN, or they're going to try and, and just leave it alone. So, Sony is sitting on what could be one of the greatest formats to be a, a reboot. If you Just think of any sort of teen heartthrob who's in their 20s right now. And you can put them on the show as, like, a special third bachelor on a few episodes. It's funny because you can have it like a contestant. I think I don't know about Grant Gustin, for instance, but I'll just put Grant Gustin there. Because I know the Teen Choice Awards, people love Grant Gustin from The Flash. So you have, like, a female fan of the show The Flash and they don't know grants one of the three contestants but the grants just playing himself and everyone's just laughing that's what makes the show work it has to be that similar kind of la- i could see that being with like it, like this could be appealing to like all international i'm thinking like south korean because this BTS is big. And like get one of those members to be on one of the chairs. That same similar reaction and jokes that I've seen a lot of variety shows works on the dating game. It's a very clever, very simplistic format that has a mass appeal. And, I mean, as much as I said Newlywed Game, I think Dating Game might be that big choice. So, um, I don't know when I'm recording. I mean, I'm recording this september 16th 2020 but uh i don't know when this airs uh probably 2021 maybe halloween because of horror uh mark my words i bet you'll hear news down the pipeline in the next three years we're gonna try and give dating game a chance maybe it'll be on true tv maybe it'll be on vh1 but you'll hear about a reboot of the dating game And that's going to do it for us here at Game Shows, I suppose. I'm going to take a nap. Good night, everybody, and big (laughs) smooch. Mwah!